This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow standard orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I said. You will obey. It is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew. I'm the TOS editor for the network, and with me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hello. And once again, we're joined by Larry Nemechek of Star Trek Continues and Star Trek The Next Generation Companion and Star Trek The uh, Stellar Cartography. cartography. <laughs> don't yeah. forget about the communicator, either. Star Trek oh, you go back to communicator days. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. All things Trekland. <clears throat> there you go. There you go. That's my brand. And I'm sticking <laughs> with it. Yeah. Every time you do your intro, though, I just I would just want to hover in the background and go do 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 the Lula Bay, whatever her name was, thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's. I just want you to know what a pile of of self restraint it was for me to hold back, hold myself back. <laughs> anyway, but guys, thanks for having me on. I promise I'm these bags here in the back room. I'm only staying another couple of weeks. I promise not to <laughs> You can stay for as long as you hang want. out too much longer. No, it's it's great having you on the show. I, I I've said this before, I think, but it's like you, you just have so much information that like when when you're on the show I can just, you know, be like, Hey, so what do you think about McCoy? And then I can just stop talking, <laughs> well, that may which not is nice, be a good which thing. is really yeah, nice. It makes our jobs really easy. You I know? go out, buy a car, come back, and it's uh, so, yeah. <laughs> And it's like it's, it's all – it's way better than anything that I could say. No one wants to hear me and Drew. You know, they hear us every week. No, no. You know, that's let – me, let me just stop you right here. Okay. Because the, the cool th- one of the reasons I like doing po- – since I don't have my own podcast, and if I did, it would, I would have to have something really unique to it. But the reason I like doing the podcast and, and doing cons, um, it's like – it's I don't want to sound, um, I don't know, wrinkled. But it's like – it's just great because there's so much happening. The world moves so much faster. There's so much technology, social media, everybody – you know, the memes and the gossip and the news topics and stuff. And for a time when we don't have active production going, there is so much still happening that it's just cool to hear what you know what you guys think and what you're saying and what's on your mind and either – Oh yeah, I had never thought about that. Or oh, that's exactly what I thought. Or you know what's funny? That's exactly what I thought in 1983. You know, or whatever it is. <laughs> or I never thought of that. And it's that's why I love talking to people. And because you know, at least once or twice a con, somebody throws something totally out of the blue at me, and I go, Oh my god, I never. You know, or or it's almost like Trek sociology or something. Some of the new waves of <laughs> it's like. Man and fan and technology and Trek and they keep reinventing themselves every six months. So no, that's I I love I love hearing what you guys say. Don't ever don't ever say that or what you throw at me. It's it's great. 
All right. Well, we appreciate that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So what do you so what do you think about uh, McCoy? And now we can leave. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, is that? No, no. No, wait, no, wait, so, wait, 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 wait. So, is, that, is that that's the original series? He's the it is the original, the original series. series. There's this thing. I know you're you're the guy who wrote the Star Trek Next Generation <laughs> Companion, but before that, he was the one before Pulaski. The one before? No. Well, yes, technically. Oh, that's right. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, there was. There was. There was. Crusher I know there was, was Crusher. There. Yeah. Okay. 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 Here, I got it. I got it. I got it. You know, in Encounter at Farpoint, there's that <laughs> scene where Data is walking down the hallway with that guy with the the really old guy makeup on really that guy wait, wait, but but younger. this was in the pilot it was in the pilot encounter at far point. point that's the next generation yeah they made an action figure out of it for some reason even though he was only in that one scene the guy's talking he's talking about like something called a vulcan and other stuff it's a really weird scene it's you can tell that they just added it to pad out the the thing since the running time was you know that's too weird. short or whatever you know what i've still got that my guy. vhs tape that i watch of that but i didn't do it the night it was on because i really wasn't into star trek then and years later, I got it. But someone told me later on there were some like scenes cut out so they could cram more commercials in. So I guess I never saw that scene. It might have been. It might have been that scene. I don't know. But there, there is a thing. I, I, I don't know. But that guy, that guy who's in that scene, he was in another show back in the day called Star Trek. Oh, Star Trek what? Yeah. It was just called Star Trek. <laughs> it was really weird. You know, it was like they were like that's but, enough. But not the they, new movie. They That's didn't have different. a thing to put on the end of it? Yeah, and it wasn't the cartoon one either. Oh, it could be like he was in the cartoon too. They did a cartoon of it? They did a cartoon. Oh, get out. No, they did. It was, it was weird. It was the 70s, you know. Was it like Japanese and we never got to see it over here? Mm, no, no. They they showed it here. It was oh, strange. Okay. There's a lot There's a lot more it must have been on to this franchise than just the next on. generation, Larry, yeah. you know? I don't know. You okay. should like read up on it or something. Well, I don't I, know. I, I don't know. I've I've moved on to my Will Rogers research now, and after I did the companion, I you know that and my my OU Sooners um, stuff, and that just keeps me pretty busy. So, um, okay, yeah. Well, well, whatever. thanks for coming on, Larry. That <laughs> was that was just fascinating, guys. I'm sorry. Give me on the right show next time. I, I <laughs> we're we're coming out with the next generation companion in 3D hologram version, and I'm just oh, trying to plug it, and I have no awesome. clue what you're talking about. So thanks for humiliating me. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, did did he wear blue too? Yes. Yes. He did. Oh, okay. Well, he some did. things they got right. Okay, great. Some things. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So anyway. <laughs> so anyway. Well, that was a riff that was rather rough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> rough riff. No, guys, I have a T-shirt when we used to iron on letters for T-shirts that no one thought was funny, but I did, that said, I am not DeForest Kelly from college. So, you know, with my beard and everything. So, no, I, yeah. Don't You're be fooled DeForest by You're not DeForest Kelly, but you play him on yeah. TV. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to be a bad guy in Westerns, and I... uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, McCoy and DeForest Kelly. That's just um uh yeah. It's it's like so many things in my life. It's like I go for the underdog or I go for the thing I don't think is getting its fair share of attention. And uh you know, it's like you get sucked into Star Trek first and the whole thing is cool and you get over the, the fact that oh my god, the stuff they did yesterday kind of still makes sense today. 
and mm -hmm. oh, oh, that's that thing is the same, and oh, and okay, and this is that, and oh my God, did you notice the colors of the shirts match the patch? Oh my God, you know. When you get past that, and then you start wanting stuff, but you go, why does everything have Kirk, Spock, and the ship on it? Everything has Kirk, Spock, and the ship on it. What about McCoy? What about Scotty? And that's when I kind of, and then I was like, you know what? I like McCoy better than, they, I, okay, so they're the lead guys, and they're the heroes, and they're full of themselves. Well, McCoy is the one that pops the bubbles and brings them back down to Earth. And, and Scotty's kind of the same way, except he gets to drink, so, you know, and has the Scottish accent. But no, I mean that's really that's really kind of where my... and then he gets a southern accent. It's great. yeah, yeah, only yeah. when he's drinking. Not near as often though. Not near as often, and only when there's spores involved. You know, but that's okay. <laughs> only when it's, you know, no. I mean, and then after a while, you start realizing all the McCoy. You know, McCoy. By the time the movies came out, I was way full into McCoy mode. But then it was fun as the as the movies came out. The McCoy got all the best lines. Yeah, I mean, as as someone who you know was exposed to the movies first, I I was a McCoy fan. I don't know if he was my favorite. Now that's character. a dude, that's a parallel universe, but I, that I've gotten my head used to how people have all come to Trek over the years. But, yeah, I know. But, it's, yeah, it's we we went now. through the I mean, movies first. It was crazy. Yeah, it's it's it, it is weird, but um, because of that, yeah, like you're saying, he has all the best lines. I mean, his stuff in uh, you know Star Trek Five and Star Trek Six in particular, it's like. It, that's amazing, you know, and it's like I want to be McCoy because he's the funny one, you know, he's the cool one. He is the one who's grounded. He's the human one next mm -hmm. to, you know, Spock, who's not. And yeah, yeah, no pun intended. Well, halfway anyway. No, no, I yeah. mean it's true. This is what it was, you know. Um, but yeah, so I, I can totally see where you're coming from with your McCoy love. Well, and I guess, you know, I, guess I was kidding earlier, but I am a big Will Rogers fan, and a lot of things have kind of occurred to me over the years, and one of them is that a lot of the things I like about Will Rogers is a lot of the same qualities uh, that Dee had and, and McCoy had, and Terry Rio that wrote the biography finally on DeForest Kelly after he died, uh, but with the with Carolyn's, his wife's, um, you know, cooperation, um, she kind of pointed that out too. She said, you know, there's a lot of Thing. She, I can see where you'd be a big fan of McCoy slash D. Kelly and Will Rogers. And I was like, oh, you're right. I, I never thought of that before. But yeah, you're right. But um, but that's where it started. It started because McCoy was the one that would say, you know, oh, shut up and, you know, shut up, Spock. We're rescuing you, <laughs> you know, and, and mm -hmm. just kind of cut through the bull. And uh, and the parodies did it, too. There was a uh, one of the parodies. We were laughing about that, too. But one of the parodies, like on Dr. Demento, God love them, because you got that kind of stuff then. Uh, I think Star there was a there was a long form one called Star Trip, and the Kirk jerk captain says, "Oh, be quiet, uh, Mister Spock. We're out here, and this is where we are." And da -da -da, you know, it's like all this grandiose stuff, and it's kind of like, yeah. The, and McCoy is the one that can, you know, kind of pop the bubble and bring everybody back down to Earth. And people love some of the longs, you know. Uh, Jim, they say in this galaxy there's a million billion, you know, and people love to point at that one. And I, okay, okay, fine, but just the just the ones where where he's where he's bringing people back down to earth. And and this is Star Trek continues, and the fact that I got, I played McCoy a couple of times. But one of the things I found out about McCoy and myself, my own appreciate after all these years of saying I was a McCoy fan and all this stuff. I mean, I know the joke is McCoy is the grouch, and you know, and I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank, and he's dead, Jim, and all the wonderful memes. But the the but the grouchy side of McCoy, and I know it's a joke and a meme, and and people, you know, 
you know, shut up, Spock, we're rescuing and all that stuff. But you point at your hobgoblin, you know, and you green-blooded son of a bitch and all that stuff. But it was like that's McCoy at the extreme. And it, it didn't dawn on me that a lot of people who are Kirk or Spock or whatever fans, when they look at McCoy, they see that sharper edge of him. And that was never my, – my way of looking at McCoy was he was this – southern guy who was the doctor and he was the conscience but he was the fun-loving guy and he was the cynic and i was i I dragged this out i've got the original um writer's guide here but they talk about him being the hl minken you know kind of a harder-edged will rogers but he's the one that he's the cynic and brings people back down to earth and asks the question that pops the bubble and but as far as him being like the grouch and the curmudgeon i never saw him as that hard-edged and a lot of people did and i think the first time i played him in um Pilgrim of Eternity and continues, I was so busy not trying not to be my party impersonation of McCoy that it, it did kind of come off a little soft. And I was like, oh. And my coach was kind of like, oh, you, maybe you should put a little bit of the hard edge back into him. And so from there was just a couple of scenes from McCoy in the second one. So you know, I, I tried to make sure and do that. But it the whole issue kind of came up of how we see all the characters. You know, different people have different perspectives. And in, you know, people still write character things in the fanzines and magazines and, and now online and uh you know character analysis and stuff but that always that always got me when people would see him so so hard-edged but very tender-hearted still and you know giving but i don't know i that's just that's just maybe you guys have a different take but that's i i've started trying to go back and appreciate the darker side of not not even the harder edge like the easy to parody one but just the darker side like here's a guy that's a doctor and aren't all doctors kind of masochists because they're going to they try to save everybody and they're going to lose some and you know some of the psychology of that and then then what's been given to us over the years is I knew he was divorced and he had the daughter that we never got to see except she got mentioned in the animateds and then five love it or hate it or whatever the thing about him having to let his dad die and then and then finding a cure a couple of years later or whatever. So, you know, that darker side. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a sit down on McCoy myself sometime and go back and watch for the darker darker side. I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean it sounds pretty solid to me. What do you think, Drew? I yeah. I could see I'm I'm getting tired of all the I mean, I like the focus on the original series that that like the merchandising and stuff is bringing, but I am getting tired of the the memes and such and and yeah, I do feel that McCoy may be misrepresented as being the 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 curmudgeon i mean a lot of the a lot of his best stuff is the the lighter things when he's just like jim you know we probably shouldn't do this mm-hmm. instead of the grumble 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 yeah so also i also like the grumble grumbles like some of my favorite mccoy stuff is uh star trek 4 when he's in the hospital Yes. Oh, and yeah. It's like all yeah. the you know, damn, like the damn middle medievalism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throwing stuff around, which is a throwback to the stuff in Cedar Nature Forever. You know, mm-hmm. sewing right. them up with cat gut, and you know, all that kind of stuff, which was a nice throwback. But that's, but then I guess if you're going to talk about McCoy, well, one thing I was going to say was the whole fact that D was playing McCoy was such a weird thing because of all the different pilots and you know all the iterations that Gene had to go through to the hoops to jump through just to get on the air and he always wanted d but d always played bad guys in westerns was kind of his stereotypical thing he did other things but that was kind of the stereotype in western movies and tv shows and all anybody in casting saw was was the the black-headed bad guy who was kind of slimy and may come on real slick and nice but winds up throwing a punch at the hero when he's not looking and, and all that kind of thing and 
D, um, um, Gene did a pilot called Police Story, which has nothing to do with uh, what's her name's Pepper Anderson years later. But he played, and it had Grace Lee Whitney in it too. But it, he he got D cast as the medical lab chief, kind of like Quincy, or kind of like all the lab chiefs and all the <laughs> all the NCISs, you know, kind of thing. And um, uh, he was Lab Chief Green. But he got him playing a doctor, and it was a sympathetic, you know, obviously a sympathetic role. And and he was on film; it was only half hour and all that. But uh, and then he also wrote this pilot where it was kind of like a cheap knockoff of Perry Mason. It was a half hour where D was actually the lead, and he was an attorney, and it was based on a real life attorney who would take on crazy, kind of like a real life Perry Mason. And um, it's kind of droll, and it's not the best, and I don't know if it's the best fit for D. And the whole time I'm just screaming, "This is a cheap knockoff of Perry Mason." In a half hour, but he's playing an attorney, and it was like all these things were trying to get him out of the bad guy role. And Gene co-wrote that, and it was a pilot that didn't go, called Three 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 Montgomery. But when he's casting his, you know, like the the original thing here, and I I drag this out. So here's the original uh, breakdown format thing for his pitch for the cage, which you know was um, John Hoyt played Doctor Boyce, right, in the cage. Mm-hmm. But D had wanted, I mean, Gene had wanted D to be the ship's doctor. Uh, and the description, just a paragraph, says ship's doctor, Philip Boyce, an unlikely space traveler, at the age of 51 – oh, he's ancient – he's worldly, humorously cynical, makes it a point to thoroughly enjoy his own weakness. Captain April's only real confidant, Bones Boyce, considers himself the only realist aboard, measuring each new landing in terms of relative annoyance rather than excitement. So he's he's got that curmudgeon thing going. Of course, there's nothing. You know, Spock is the number five character here, kind of thing. So it's none of the Spock McCoy stuff is happening. But as far as being the one guy the captain can turn to and lay it, you know, like you see in the cage where he walks in with the and they have the banner as he makes the martinis, kind of a thing. And then when they're in the briefing room and Boyce is saying, "Now let's get the let's get the sense of that. These things can look into our minds." And you know, the couple of real character moments that Boyce has, you kind of see proto. You know, um, you see baby McCoy things there. And then when they do the second pilot and they recast everything, it's like casting still, they're thinking like Doc from, um, they're thinking of Gunsmoke and the ensemble, and they're thinking of uh, Milburn Stone's, you know, Doc, where he's like, here's the young lead, and then hits the elderly doctor as kind of like the father figure to him. And that's what they, like these first two pilots, um, what's his name playing Dr. Piper is the same way. It just comes off as weak and, and you know, God bless him, kind of out of shape, and he's not going to be in on any of the action if they need him to be. So, A, it was a victory for Gene to even get decast. But then, you know, it's it's 60s TV, so it's lead, second banana, and all the other people. You know, the ensemble didn't come in until Bochco and L.A. Law and, and, and um, Hill Street Blues kind of shook everything up. So it's 60s TV structure, but still... As the show goes along, Jimmy and – I mean all of them did a great job of making their characters rise up to where people thought of them as a family anyway. But here's D making McCoy spark on screen, this B actor, cowboy, western bad guy, to where you can't help but – they, you know, and Gene Kuhn picked up on it especially and started writing the McCoy Spock stuff and giving McCoy the, the catch lines not to overdo it, and by the end of the year – 
they've decided to bump him up. You know, while they're in the middle of the whole Shatner Nimoy, who's going to get, <laughs> who's the lead? Are we co-leads? Is Nimoy going to leave? Are they going to recast Spock? Are they going to bring in Mark Leonard or somebody, you know, Lawrence Montaigne to be the new Spock? Are we going to rename the character? Blah blah blah. In the middle of all that drama, they've are they totally on the side? They've decided to bump D up to third billing out front above the line, so he gets residuals. You know. And everybody else who are the regulars are still in the back listing. So it's – you can talk about it. It's a little bit like, you know, oh, John Wayne played himself all the time. Some of these actors who are famous and beloved and people don't think of them as, as great actor actors, and Dee probably wouldn't either. But they did something and really settled in, and he did something on screen those first – you know, as the show went along and he got used a lot because he wasn't in every episode. And – um and that, that's that's something that's important to remember about McCoy. And then by the time that that's why I really like the second season the best because all the mature shows are are in there. And so you were talking about scenes, so you guys should talk about your scenes. But here's my two or three. My reason Doomsday Machine is my favorite show, and even though D's only in half, McCoy's only in the first half. But um, partly the scene when they revive Decker, but the scene with Spock and Decker at the chair. When they're trying to relieve him, and and McCoy's going out on a limb, you know the, I'll certify that right now stuff, you know Spock do something, all that stuff is just and and it's the best McCoy go to hell look. There's there's the sharp edge of McCoy <laughs> when he leaves when Dicker you know sends him off finally and he has to give up. That one and the scene in Sitting on the Edge, which is the end of first season when he's on the cot and recovering, and I love that scene. Where you know it winds up with my my dear, I don't believe in you either. That whole little scene with Edith Keeler, and and um, you know, and the stuff in Journey to Babel. Even though I love Journey to Babel for a lot of different reasons, but you know that hurts worse than the sling and talking about hating to wear the dress uniform and then doing the surgery and and he says what and then McCoy humor when they're talking about blood and doing the transfusion. And he says, well, my blood is extremely rare. And he says, oh, what type is it? And he says, it's, it's a T-negative, doctor. And, he's, and McCoy goes, yes, I'd say that's rare because it's the joke with everybody on 1967 watching the show because it's obviously an alien blood type. So, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but those are some of my favorite. You know, there's many, many more. And, and uh, oh, you know, the end of Journey to Babel, the whole, you know, well, what do you know? I finally got the last word. I mean, that's just quintessential. That's the scene they ended his – when he had his memorial when Dee died and they had a uh, they had a remembrance service on the lot, they put together a 10-minute, like 12-minute clip reel that had his first movie and his film noir and a lot of his Western scenes and then all of his Star Trek stuff and, um, you know, six or eight scenes from Star Trek. And they ended the whole thing with – they went through the movies and then they came back to that scene to end with. What do you know? I finally got the last word, so – it's obscene, but what, I mean, what do you guys think? That's that's. I'm I'm scop- skipping through here to stop talking and <laughs> and take a breath and let you guys take your show back. But uh, what do you, what what's your scenes? Drew, oh, I have to go. Uh, like him and Galileo Seven. Mm-hmm. I think Galileo Seven is is stand up episode for everybody. Mm-hmm. I like the the whole thing about having McCoy and Spock down on the planet. So McCoy gets to be the conscience. It, it's not like the id, super ego, ego thing. It's just McCoy being the conscience for Spock, just mm-hmm. Spock alone. And and I've always liked that. It's And, and that's I, – I love when they're inside the – when they're at the beginning and then at the end. 
they literally have McCoy in Spock's ear. He's sitting like right behind him as the pilot. It's kind of like he's the parrot perched on his shoulder, you know, <laughs> chirping at him, really. I mean, and then when they shoot the angle, it's Spock sitting in the thing, and then McCoy's like right behind him. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. he's right there in the front row where he can like harp at, he can comment at what Spock's doing and, and throw stuff back at him. And and I like all this stuff, like I said, in the hospital in Star Trek Four. <laughs> Just I love him running around curing like growing that lady a new kidney. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor gave me a pill and I got a new kidney. No, that's great, yeah. And I think we were saying on the other side on the other side of the room that uh that the scene the you know, McCoy's big spotlight there was that scene with Chekhov when they throw the and Kirk throws the doctors in the closet and but he's going, he's ranting on and on like he does in Sitting on the Edge when he's out of it, and he and the um, the rat, the little bum, takes his phaser and off his, off of him and shoots himself. But before that, he's going on and on about back in the 20th century when they sewed people up with cat gut and sutures and knives, and you know he's going on. It's that same vibe that you that you get in four. It's it's a thing of how the movies could have been so much worse than they were, but they were really done with you know Hard Bennett's team. And, and Nick Meyer really did a good job of, of doing even though they weren't around in the 60s, it shows that if you're smart enough and you do your research, you can come to something later on and, you know what I'm saying, and and make it, well, and make it ring. Even even more than, than that, you know, which is sort of like just, you know, kind of like playing off of the thing, and they like they did with, in the motion picture where it's like, he doesn't want to come up, he doesn't want to beam up, he says something mm-hmm. about you scaring it. I mean, to me, like the big thing that that they did, and and the reason why you know he works so well in the movies, um, even when he doesn't have those those big moments, is because they totally under the movie team totally understood the dynamic. So, like to me, some of my favorite McCoy scenes are actually things like just when they're they're you know sitting around uh, Kirk's quarters or whatever discussing like Genesis, you know, and he's like, watch out, you know. Now we'll do it for you in six minutes, you know, mm-hmm. like things like mm-hmm. that. And it's like, not only is that like great McCoy in terms of like dialogue and stuff, but it's a great use of McCoy in terms of the story and in terms of, you know, Kirk's character mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and I mean, things like that are things that I, I personally love. I mean, I, I think, Drew, you're right. I mean, the Star Trek Four stuff, like that, that little, like, I don't know, two or three minute scene where it's just like McCoy full throttle you know i mean it's it's uh, yeah he's on it's his pretty... turf and this is his, right and now he's in command basically it's like if, whenever they're in sick bay and he's unless there's something going on that's high level command that kirk's got it like kirk and con or something going on right. oh, oh the, the scene with um when with mccoy comes thing. yeah with the knife yeah. you're in sick bay holding a knife at your doctor's throat yeah yeah that's a great scene that's too, a great yeah. scene too and um um Oh, the the one of the little mom, the little McCoy moments that I love. There's two. There's like everybody has their lines, like you just say, like in normal life when the situation comes up, and you just say them. Yes, yes. And one I of my favorite ones is from the up. beginning of. Uh, and sometimes it's not even about the the original scene or the line. It's just that it's just like life happens, and you just are, feel compelled to spit it out. You know. Yes. And one of my f- constant ones, or over the years, favorite ones has been if somebody. Somebody's they're either like they're about to say something, or they're, you're waiting on them to comment, or you're waiting on them to give you some information, and you're looking at them. I'll, I do this with my wife all the time. It's she's going to say something, and I'm looking at her, and she doesn't say anything, and I'm like, instead of just saying yes, like yes, you're about to say, 
Instead, I'll look at her and say, you were about to make a medical comment, Jim? <laughs> From sitting on the edge. And, uh, and another one is not McCoy, but another one like that is somebody's talking about how you can't get something done or it's way too big or it's beyond us to do this or something. And somebody says it and I'll, and I'll say, it's a big galaxy, Mr. Scott, you know, like when they're looking for the galaxy. Anyway, but um, <laughs> that one line and then of McCoy's, but my other just line for line that I love of McCoy's that I use it some way, sometimes that way it's, and it wasn't in the script. This was a movie and they added it because McCoy, I mean, D as the actor was exactly like McCoy, the character. But it's a time when he and Kirk are leaving the bridge. I want to say it's in Rathacon, maybe when they're beaming down. But it's uh, Kirk and McCoy are going into the turbo lift, and Spock is left behind. He has the con, and Spock turns around and says, Jim, be careful. And McCoy is standing right there. It's like, a, what am I, chopped liver? And he says, <laughs> but it's like, Jim, be careful. And before Kirk can say anything, McCoy kind of leans in and says, we will. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't written that way. It was just, Jim, be careful. And D said, I think McCoy should say, we will. And they were all like, uh, yes. And it's like, and it should have been written there to begin with, you know, kind of a thing. It was like it was a weird little meta moment, you know. When I read that, I was like, well, that's perfect. And they all said, oh, yeah, yeah, it'll work. It's totally cool. But there's a case of, you know, life imitating art and vice versa. But I love that line, we will. It's like, don't leave me out too, you know. Another one of my favorite lines that I – used to quote, even as a kid, was, uh, my God, man, drilling holes in his head is not the answer. <laughs> the, the one that I use all the time and have since I was a kid was, I'd pay real money if he'd shut up. Yeah, that's you another know. one of my favorites. And see, that doesn't was, make yeah. much sense in the real world, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. I know, I know. And I, I, you, you say that and I laugh, and now I'm trying to, what is that from? Is that from, is that from Six? Yeah, when they're when uh, Christopher Chang Palmer is, just is... Quoting yeah, 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 that's Shakespeare right. Shakespeare, spewing no Shakespeare yeah. yeah, and that's why it doesn't. Uh, yeah, and that's why. I mean, I only I've only seen that one probably fifteen times versus five thousand for anything in the series. Well, they did a commentary on it, Larry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's there's this amazing moment in Star Trek VI when the Klingons beam away. And you know they're they're they sort of like all exhale you know you know that moment oh, when yeah, in the yeah. transporter room, and if you if you just watch it right there's this this moment where after everyone says their lines and it gets to like the point where like Bones is going to say like I'm I'm going to go find a pot of black coffee and he like rips open his tunic right yeah like if you watch it if you're just like watching him you can see that he's like carefully undoing it and sort of like trying to buy time so that he can rip it open for like just the proper effect at mm -hmm. just the right moment that's that's without ripping the actual right costume yes yeah. yes yeah. it it was it's, doing it's a pretty great moment. Down. yeah well have I you ever that. seen the original version of that it was meant to make them look really it was meant to look like they had a lot more racist feelings about klingons they talk about them smelling and the food they ate Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be like a throwback retro thing about eating with some other ethnic, like some, you know, Asian or African or Arabic, some white, you know, great white hunter kind of thing encountering somebody else. And you're trying to smile through your dinner, but then you come away and you go, oh, my God, they stunk and they blah, blah, blah. And they were trying yeah. to apply that. But it just looked horrible because you were supposed to have these enlightened Starfleet guys. And they're just like, no, they wouldn't say. I mean, they cut a lot yeah. of it. <laughs> but it was the, yeah. they were trying to make the thing about here's the great cultural divide between them and here's, 
you know, just in case you had forgotten, here's how far apart they really were, kind of a thing. And instead of it being like the metaphor of the Americans and Russians, it was like even, you know, at least the Russians drive cars and live in buildings with roofs kind of things. I mean, it was like, it was, yeah. That's, that's it's. A, I mean, that's a, yeah, Star Trek yeah. 6, you, you could tell they were kind of walking that fine line throughout. And yeah, I, I think the balance that they found uh, worked pretty well. Yeah, but but you're right. And McCoy got not, got to do nothing but blossom. And, and even though 3 doesn't, I think 3 gets overlooked sometimes. Uh, people think of two and four and six, and they fall into the odd number meme and all that stuff. But you know, bad movie meme. But three um, for for D and for McCoy is tons because he's carrying around the Katra and he has all the scenes in the bar and the guys you know chasing him and <laughs> and uh, all that stuff. You know, and how can it be sedan? How can you be deaf with yes, ears like, like that? that? Yeah, he's he's also got you know that great uh, dramatic uh, scene yes. with with Kirk when they when he blows up the Enterprise. You know. Oh, well, I was going to say he's got the dramatic scene where he's looking down at, at Spock. Ah, who cares about mm-hmm. Spock? <laughs> but the Enterprise, when the Enterprise blows up, you know, and he's like, my my God, Bones, what have I done, yep. you know? I mean, yep. that's a great Bones moment right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've thought of that moment when he and Spock are talking for two things. One, that was also a, a scene that they put in his memorial reel. That they showed for his service, but two, that was a time like that was like a rare time because uh, Nimoy's directing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's at the end of the show where he hasn't been in the, the end of the movie. And Spock hasn't been in there the whole time, so Nimoy's had a free ride of not having to <laughs> wear a costume or ears or anything. He's just got to direct <laughs> until the very end. But that was that was one of the times when Shatner was like, it was like McCoy talking to Spock, and it was like their little moment together after this whole thing had happened. And and McCoy had carried him around his head and almost driven him crazy, and that was part of the plot of it. And and Kirk had been the action guy and got him saved and all that, but this was kind of like a, a mind-to-mind in a weird little McCoy spot moment like you've never seen before, you know? And Shatner was saying, don't you think I should be like behind Bones, kind of like watching them have this moment? <laughs> and uh, and Dee and, and Nimoy were both, Leonard were both like, no. Kirk does not have to be in every scene. Like, let them have this moment together because they've they've shared brains, you know, they've shared minds, and and you know, here they've had their they've loved each other, but they've bannered and closer than you can ever be with anybody. And anyway, it was like Shatner trying to say, "Don't you? I I think it'd be very powerful if 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 uh, Kirk was listening to McCoy say this to Spock, and it would be such a revelation." And they're like, "No, <laughs> you can, you don't have to be in this scene." And uh, anyway. Um, you know they they completely made the right choice, but if Shatner hadn't tried to to make his case for that scene, then he wouldn't be Shatner. Of course, of course, of course. And Shatner's the best. Yeah, it, okay. it would. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I you know, I'm not. I'm just saying it's so. Um, it's so. Shatner. <laughs> it's a very Shatner. Thing it's a very do, Shatner thing to do. And I just I hadn't I just heard that story, but that, that yeah. is a great story. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, but yeah. <laughs> So, if yeah. it had been in Star Trek Five, that's how it would have been. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, oh gosh. Yeah. Yep. 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 Your revered Admiral Nagura, sir. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I. So yeah, I. Um. I. I became a McCoy fan, kind of feeling like I had to pick up for him. What's what's what what's uh and, and then the rest has happened. But you know, when everybody else had their Kirk shirt or their Spock shirt, like the first uniform I had my mom make me was a McCoy uniform, of course, you know. 
and yeah. um, and I I was mad because you couldn't get a medikit, so I like made my own prop building thing, and and anyway, but what got me was the last four or five years. I think I mean, we've talked about the same way that Netflix and the Blu-rays promotion and publicity and attention, all this, and all this stuff has made um, you know, brought in a lot of fans and a lot of people have come over from the JJ movies and now they're bigger fans of the original than they ever were of the movies or maybe they found them on their own and didn't even come to fandom through the JJ movies and the same way that it didn't get a lot of respect and attention at the time because it was so hard to watch but DS9 has way more fans now I think and respect than it did when it was on the air mm-hmm. even though fandom oh, as a yeah. whole has gotten bigger okay so these things that have kind of evolved in in maybe interesting surprising ways I always just got used to the idea that I mean, I, you know, I love all the characters, but I was, it was that kind of stick up for the underdog thing. And it wasn't like I did it just because of that, because I love McCoy and I loved him for all the ways I've said 19 times. But there was also that kind of, you know, like it's the, it's the, it's like when you're the only guy watching a show and you and your five friends, and then it gets really suddenly hugely popular and you liked it better when it was just your little show, (laughs) even though it meant that it might have been canceled kind of a thing. And I've just noticed the last four or five years that I think, uh, there's been a whole uh, a McCoy, I don't say McCoy awakening. And Scotty's always been kind of funny because anybody that drank and partied, drank. Anybody that liked to drink and party has always been like a, a Scotty, you know, guy at heart, you know. So I, it's like and 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 Michelle and Uhura and George has his own thing, and Ch- it's like all the little five, quote unquote, have their pluses and minuses and they've gone way beyond just being the guys the recurring people who were in the back end of the credits on the original series in the 60s way of doing things but it's really like mccoy was just kind of like the one everybody liked and d kelly was the actor that everybody got along with and when i was a kid i just kind of intrinsically knew that of all those actors he would be the one that i would want to have dinner with or share you know share time with as just as a person whether it was because maybe I thought I'd be blown away by the other ones or they would be too, you know, actor. And D was like approachable, I guess is what I'm saying. And he was yeah. always that way on stage. And of course, he and Carolyn had to like look out. And they were very private and they kind of look out for their privacy. But, and they didn't have kids. So it was just them. And they made, you know, they only let a few people, if you're reading the stuff about him, they only let a few people into their lives, you know, privately. But, um, but that was just always the way I felt about him. And, the last four or five years, I've gotten this sense that it's like McCoy fans have come out of the closet, in a way. And it really hit me. It was really funny when the, we first did Continues and I showed up. And it's like all the girls that were anime fans of Vicks that were working on crew and had come from around the – I say all the girls. like there were 40 of them. But the, my here's, – here's, I walk in the door and I don't know anybody but maybe two people. And so I'm meeting people and everything everybody does. And – Person after person, and most of them tended to be, you know, young women in their like college age and a little above, who was most of our crew. Everybody kept saying, "Oh, McCoy's my favorite character," and I'm like, "Don't. That's really sweet, but don't say that just because I'm standing here." And they're like, "No, McCoy is really my favorite character." And I'm like, "Really?" And they're like, "Why?" And so they start rattling off all the reasons why, and I'm like, well, "That's very cool. Okay." And then the next one I run into says so the same thing. I go, "No way. Wait, wait." You guys like aren't cloned, right? You're not, you're not, you're not, and you're not saying that just because I'm standing here. No, no, no. Okay, and it was really weird. And and then people would like wear their McCoy t-shirts on crew, or they'd wear their McCoy stuff, 
And there's one picture I've got with Alex who was in costuming and she has her D thing. And I got down on my knees. So I was like, even with the face on her shirt, we had fun. There's a picture floating. But it was like, what did I find the secret McCoy DeForest Kelly fan club all these years, you know? <laughs> and why why weren't the twenty something girls in that club when I was in my twenties? Like, where were you guys when I? But it was just, really, but it got me really thinking about. It. It's like, has there been this like of all these evolutions? Like I said, it's like there's trends and things, and it's like Doug says about Enterprise fans, the new fans that have come along now don't know they were supposed to hate the show that they would like when it was on the air. But it's it's like all these new things that do happen, and it's like there's been this. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what, what you guys think about that, but I've noticed more people. And again, when we did the show and people would come up at conventions and the, the opening and people come up and say, McCoy was my favorite character and you were so beautiful and it was such a wonderful show and I loved it. And I'm like, okay, that's very sweet and thank you for saying that. And I don't, I'm not getting an Oscar next year or anything, but that's very sweet of you to say that. But <laughs> for them to just say, and they're not telling me just because I'm standing there. I mean, people, it's like, where have all these McCoy fans been over the years? They're sure not buying. You know, it's like it's really funny, it, and it's like the longest ta- that there's a picture that I have of me and D together at the Huntsville '96 30th anniversary convention, and I had gotten to meet him a couple times professionally, but not near as many as I wanted to, and that was the only time I really did a real. I mean, I had interviewed him on press things and some things, and that was before I was doing Communicator, but that was the time we did a really, really long time thing, and by then he knew that I was like Janet worked on Voyager and we were around and all this stuff. And I I made one big – because everybody else had done their biographies, and I did one big pitch, and my book had been out, you know, the next-gen book had been out. And I said – I looked at him after we did our interview, and I said, now, Dee, I have to tell you. I said, if, if you didn't know this, you are – of all the original series, you're, you're my – McCoy's my favorite character, and you're my favorite actor. I just wanted to say that. And he looked at me, and he smiles, and he goes, well, where were you 30 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> you know but and then i made and i was like and you i said you have got to do something it's just please let me work with you and let's work on your biography and he said uh, he says oh I, if i did that i just have to go out in the garage and go through all those boxes and that was that was his like kind of laughing quiet way of saying like don't pester me about it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and then i found out that that carolyn had already talked to to Terry about it, but, but I just again, it was like everybody else has done their auto, their autobi- autobiography, and you're the only one that hadn't. It was like, come on, come on, this isn't fair. So you know, he was he was getting it. They were getting it set up to be done, but you know, again, he was the last one to have a bio done. So anyway, yeah. uh, so it's like it was just kind of funny. He was he was totally contented and happy with where he was and a mate because he when he got McCoy, he he thought he was on the down. He was. You know, in his late 40s or whatever, he thought he would, he had done, he'd been acting for 20 years. He thought he was over the hill. He wouldn't be actively working after that. And he was, and Star Trek gave him such a second breath on acting and all the thing, you know, just income and, ooh, I've got insurance and, you know, all those kinds, I can pay my mortgage and um, all those kinds of things that, um, that he was, you know, just so eternal. That's why he did the, McCoy in the in the pilot for Next Gen for not for free, but he did it for scale, for Gene. Yeah. So, um, you know, he was just so thrilled for Star Trek and and to give him that that last that part of life when he thought his life and acting career would be tailing off and he'd just be sitting around trying to live on his what little res- you know they didn't have the best residuals in the '60s that all kind of came along in the <laughs> '70s. So, um, not not even Star Trek, but the movie stuff. So. 
um, yeah. he was always very grateful for Star Trek that way and, and, um, and the fandom and the fact that, you know, and he tells that story about the girl that sent him the joint and said, I got high so many times <laughs> watching you, I thought I'd return the favor. That's one of his favorite fan mail stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway, McCoy. Have I talked it to death yet? Good stuff. Well, you can always talk about McCoy. It's not death. dead, Jim. We could talk about this forever. Oh, <laughs> I think he just killed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he, he, is, he is one of my favorites as well. Yeah. You can't not like McCoy. No, but do you think do you think there's been like a renaissance of a that's what I was talking about. Do you think there's been kind yeah. of a wave back to where people appreciating him and saying I'm a McCoy fan like more than any of the other especially the original series? It's interesting because Andy uh first time track uh on on Twitter mm-hmm. going through Star Trek for the first mm-hmm. time she went through TNG. I'm watching her a little She's, bit. Yeah, when I catch it. Yeah, it's really entertaining. And her favorite character is uh, that's McCoy. right. I do remember that. I do remember noticing that. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. We're we're getting you know brand new watchers mm-hmm. appreciating McCoy right off the bat. Again, where was she thirty years ago? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder how much of that has to do with people like you know, like Drew and and myself who are coming at this from the movies first. You know, the the younger generation of fans and it's like there are so many sort of like you get such concentrated doses of mccoy you know Mm -hmm. in in little you know spurts like that as opposed to just spread out over the 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 run of the series that maybe maybe because of that maybe because of Mm -hmm. the movies people are people now are are fans of mccoy more than than back in the day well do you think Maybe it's – and not that this is a peg because McCoy's got four or five things to him, but maybe the cynical – not jaded, oh. but the cynical wise wise ass. That could be. Um, yeah, maybe that wasn't a thing. It speaks to this mm-hmm. generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, kind of a – that was kind of a big character type. Uh, I just had another Will Rogers flashback because that was kind of some of – a lot of his persona in his 30s movies was the humble guy – Either the down-on-his-luck guy who was smarter than everybody or the guy who was the sane person while everybody else went off on a tangent in town or his family went crazy, and he was trying to hold them together. And that was kind of Will's character type in a lot of things. And he played – he played. they did a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court uh, version where he was the – you know, he wasn't – he was – he had the most Southern Yankee version you ever heard. But, but he, again, he was the calm – one in the middle of the storm or the guy that was the down-to-earth person in a lot of his movie roles that way, and uh, even when it was his family or something. And it just – that's another thing. It just hit me. But um, yeah, and that yeah. comes – but, but in the, the 20s and 30s when you had – especially the 30s when you had an economic upheaval and everything wasn't all bright and shiny and whatever. And the 60s were a very – you know, we had Vietnam about to tear everybody apart, but state, Star Trek came out of the Kennedy-esque – NASA writes stuff we can do anything optimism you know and maybe by even by the time they did the movies much less looking at it with today's eyes we've gone through a kind of a cynical jaded time and maybe that maybe that resonates with people too i don't know i'm not i'm trying, hope i'm not trying to get too deep here but i it's, this just um this is one of those things where we just kind of it just came up and i'm just kind of thinking on my feet and wondering what you guys think and if and what and then you reminded me of 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 um, what's her first time Trekkie gear, and I remembered seeing that. So yeah, that all kind of adds up to this little perking, percolating theory here. I don't know. Maybe it's just because now people are seeing Star Trek continues, and they're like, "Oh my god!" You know, 
<laughs> oh, yeah. and they're watching. Yeah, they're watching Armacor. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's yeah. it. Yes, yes, indeedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or Carl Urban. There you go. Carl yeah. Urban. Oh, we didn't even talk about Carl, and he got they he got done so dirty in into darkness, among other things. They, I mean, he had the great scene with their Carol Marcus with Alice Eve, where he got to be a little of the Southern gentleman, Southern flirt. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which people forget about with. Oh, here's the funny thing about McCoy. And I'm sorry not to. Fit, I was glad to see that scene because otherwise, they did nothing with McCoy. That and did the. You know, movie goes along, movie goes along, movie goes along, movie goes along. We're in trouble, we're in trouble, we're in trouble. Kirk, oh my God, Bones, what are you doing with that tribble? Oh, I'm pulling out the vampire blood that will kill anything. You know, it's like, <laughs> why is that shoehorned in there? You know, with an obvious tribble. I wonder. You know, gee, why did that guy? Anyway, it's like I'm sorry you had to deliver that line. But the first, the first movie, I mean, him portraying has been wonderful. And the whole thing, what I tried to do, and probably was he did much better, was worrying about playing McCoy and channeling McCoy, not impersonating D, which is what you would mm-hmm. do in any, yeah. any of these reboot characters. And um, and I may have even overdid that in the first continues. But but Carl does a great job of that, and I think he even upped his game <laughs> in the second one, despite what they gave him to play with. My only beef about the first one was it was kind of like they trotted out every token McCoy line to say <laughs> within 15 minutes there in one span. Yeah, But... Um, it's like a little, little, you know, and I didn't, they didn't do that in the first, it wasn't me, they didn't do that in the first one. We didn't, there's no, he's dead Jim or I'm a doctor, not as in, in any of the, uh, in either of the two first continues. So we'll see how the other ones go, but, uh, which I kind of appreciate. It's just going to be nonstop cliches without you there. Star Trek, the cliche show. The the closest thing in, in, in episode one that I came and I made sure and really, because the minute I read it, I didn't have to lay anything on. It just came out that way. Is when they're talking about the organ that he. They come up with the excuse of why Apollo um, had his power, you know, the whole thing about that. And they're talking about the organ, and when he took it out, nothing really changed. And he, or they're trying to talk about finding it. That's what it is. But he has a line where he says, "Do you have any ideas, Bones?" And and McCoy says, "Well, it's damn, pecu- it's damn peculiar, Jim." And that's a very McCoy <laughs> line to say. It's damn peculiar. So. Um, that was like the closest I felt like I got to having a moment and just kind of get in and channel D being McCoy and just let that carry me along like I'm a like I'm on a kayak on a runaway river <laughs> kind of thing and just let it go however it goes. And that's a, that's a McCoy line right there. Is what? <laughs> well, just your your metaphor there was uh, very McCoyish in nature. But anyway, the kayak and the river. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, <laughs> okay, guys. I guess I can't stop. So maybe we better. <laughs> You're channeling D without even thinking yeah, about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, that again. That's how the. Uh, why does anybody have to be a slave to anybody? That's my proud little bit contribution to. Aside from making everybody peaceful about how to deal with the Orion background, and then contribute <laughs> that in. That's that'll be my. Uh, that'll be my uh, creative. Con- well, I was doing that anyway on all the shows. So, there was one, there was one moment where somebody said, uh, "Oh, Jane. I guess I don't know if it survived into the script, but I know one time James called me. It's James Kerwin, the director on." On episode three, who, if you haven't seen, uh, if you want some homework before episode three comes out, go find Yesterday Was a Lie that Chase Masterson is in and Kipley Brown and uh, and Peter Mayhew. And Peter Mayhew, yes. Uh, it's a wonderful film. It's not Star Trek, but it's a film noir uh, quantum universes thing. You start off thinking you're watching a 40s show and then they whip out cell phones. It's in black and white. And then, anyway, it's it's kind of 
but it's it gets into parallel universes and it's it's a real mind bender. And James wrote and directed that, and he's directing this next episode. And he wrote and directed the third episode, of which we cannot say the title or talk about it much. But um, uh, and now I won't remember why I launched this story. Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! Oh well, it's a good one. I'll tell you later. All right. <laughs> Save your to clock. To be continued. Yes. Yeah, to be continued. And as we established last time, the title of the new episode. Oh, I, I know what is... it was. I know what it was. He called oh. me one day and said, "We're having an argument. Can you ever remember a time when like Sulu leaned over and did something for the navigator's console?" And I went, "Well, yeah, all the time." I said, "For one thing, when Bailey yeah. conked out in Corbmite maneuver and froze up." And he, they're like, "Really? Okay." And I'm like, "What? Don't." Don't track nerd out on me now and forget that. <laughs> like, how can you not remember that? In fact, when they did when when um when Intermere Darkly's set was up at the end of Enterprise and we were all everybody was going over and taking pictures on the bridge, you know, at the lot. <laughs> Sandy Stone and I from Star Trek dot com were over and everybody's taking pictures and we were sitting at the helm and navigation and there was one point where I said, Sandy, go stupid looking and he went, Duh and I leaned over from Sulu's chair and you know, and was like doing his controls like Sulu and Bailey or or Sulu when uh, Naked Time is happening or whatever. Anyway, I was like, here, I'll send you a thing of us parroting that scene. And like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, how can you be a nerd, the original series nerd and not remember that? But anyway, we all have our moments. So mm-hmm. uh, aside from that, James is totally qualified to direct the third episode. And... Cool, cool. <laughs> anyway, guys. I look forward to seeing, apparently seeing... <laughs> uh, Grant Imahara lean over and mash some buttons. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know Spoiler. if that survived or not, but I know at one point that so that was a place where I saved somebody's bacon or you know solved a bar fight or something. There saved saved somebody getting injured or something. Played McCoy even without a hypo, even without meaning to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks for having me on, and and I hope. Oh we, yeah, thank thank you for, uh, for joining us. Proto McCoy and mid McCoy and post McCoy yeah, there for sure. Yeah. It's, been an, an interesting uh perspective since cool. we're since we, we we didn't really uh you know i mean hey we we didn't get to experience mccoy grow as uh as the character himself grew you know well now wait a minute i didn't either <laughs> I was, no but you I was at least saw the reruns. episodes in chronological order somewhat yeah. or at least the episodes you first. know yeah. yeah it's not like you saw star trek star trek the motion picture wasn't your first exposure to mccoy no, you know? no. But thank you again for joining yeah. us. We really appreciate it. And and where can uh, people find you on the internet and whatnot? Uh, at Larry Nimichek on Twitter and uh, LarryNimichek.com online, uh, Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook. Uh, my Con of Wrath documentary is still going at ConOfWrath.com. We'll probably have another year or two in our little slow motion pace. Um Geek Nation tours. We're still we're working on this summer's uh, L.A. to Vegas Trek Film Sites tour, leading into the Vegas convention. So go there, and a lot of the stuff is at my main site. And the thing I forgot to mention the last time I was on the show was the Trekland trunk is still open, and mm, I'm yes. still uh, unloading or sharing <laughs> uh, scripts and paste up boards and oddball things and uh, draft scripts and. Oh, uh, what else? Uh, blueprints and all kinds of oddball things and um, some gifty type things. So not not retail items, so non-commercial things. So yeah, just to, and and cool I don't stuff. cram it down your throat. So come over. F- there's a Trekland Trunk Facebook page. So like that, and then when I put something up, you'll hear about it. And 
and they're mostly eBay, but once or twice a week we do one kind of in group chat on Facebook, and people have a people have a hoot with that more than they do anything else. So there's I've got eight or ten or twelve regulars, and then everybody's welcome to jump in. But uh, we have a Ferengi and a Breen and uh, and a Borg and uh, who've <laughs> bit and uh, like little six hour session. And uh, anyway, it's kind of wacky. I bet the so the Ferengi check always wins, right? The Ferengi was on a six <laughs> item. Uh, spree until uh, he got a late start, but then he had five in a row, but then somebody else took it this last time, so. Oof. He should be ashamed of himself. I know. I, 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 yeah. Well, he lives in Oregon, so, you know, I don't have to deal with uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Larry. Sure thing. It's been fun talking with Larry about Dr. McCoy today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Montgomery Scott. It's really just there to tell a story that they couldn't tell with Kirk or Spock or McCoy. This is true. An episode where Kirk is framed for the murder of a hooker would be... Right. Awesome. Completely different. It would be awesome, but... Earl Grey. Ships of TNG Part 2. Commander Riker, why would you protect the inferior <laughs> ship? I want its treasure. I want the other ship. Darren, how long have you been keeping that one in your pocket? You yeah, I like tell that. Us. That was good. Do a <laughs> the Ready Room. Scientific Method. She tells the the the, guy, the woman that comes on the bridge, and she's like, "Well, it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't matter to me. I'm gonna drive into these stars. It's gonna be great. Like it's like <laughs> I'm just like the orb till death do us part. His are, are are very quizzical in nature. They they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who who is willing to accept. Okay, where what is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, tell me what to do right now. You know, like, right. There's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey. One versus doctor's orders. I was working full time on top of being a full time student. And I listen, I I don't want to hear your excuses. Okay, I don't want to hear them. (laughs) Like life was happening. And a great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp five. Undeveloped enterprise stories. But the idea here is that Porthos would become intelligent and would be the only member of the crew capable of communicating with a canine alien. So even Hoshi apparently couldn't figure out this dog language. Commentary, Trek stars. Cliff Bull, Shemira. I'd love to see an X-Files one-shot with Scully and, and the hookers. With you know? Scully and the Hookers? Yeah. That's a great name for That's a what band. We can call it Scully and the Hookers. <laughs> <laughs> Melodic Treks. Five musical favorites. You know, I don't completely hate the opening theme. I, I just really think that Archer's theme should be the opening credits. Continuing mission. Star Trek Axelar with Alec Peters. That's what we posit. We say it makes sense that at this point, we know it's from from TOS. They're not integrated, so our crews are not integrated. And, and we make a point of that. We don't avoid it. We make a point of it. And in Prelude to Axanar, they talk about that. Literary Treks. IDW Alien Spotlight, Part 1. Well, Chris, it's okay, because they can see the Romulans from their house. That's right. So... 
from space. You know, you betcha. <laughs> you know, well, that's okay. I can see the Romulans from my uh, from my starship. It's going to be fine. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. you find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. If you want to contact us about Dr. McCoy or Larry Nemechek, you can uh, go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using Webcam's microphone, and we can play it right here. And you can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. On social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where else can people find you other than here? Well, you can find me uh, here still on Trek FM, where I do commentary Trek Stars with my friend Max. And you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com, where I do commentary Trek Stars off-topic with Max and our friend Brandon. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And on various other places around the network and the internet, also under that name. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everybody? Well, I've got uh, a story, uh, a bone story, called Star Trek Shadows on the Sun, which is written by Michael Jan Friedman, another comic book writer who is responsible for an obscure run, an obscure comic called Dark Star back in the mid-90s, which captured my imagination as a, as a youth. Um, mainly because Donna Troy was the main character and she was awesome. Um, <laughs> it's narrated by James Doohan, and it's three hours and 12 minutes long. And uh, it's about, uh, well, like I said, Bones. Dr. McCoy finds himself at the center of an explosive civil war on the planet San. Alderaan. Yes. <laughs> And he is the only one with the power to save the woman who once broke his heart. Oh, it seems to be like a recurring theme with him. He has but a whatever. lot of exes out there. Yeah, and, and he needs to save planets. them all. <laughs> Featuring a dramatic reading by James Doohan, and enhanced with sound effects and an original score. An original and you can score. Get this, it's it's got an original score. Cool. Yeah, and you can get this book for free on audible.com since you listen to standard orbit that's right as a trek fm listener you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great audible is so give it a try today catch up on all those classic star trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well just go to audibletrial.com slash trek and sign up today again that's audibletrial.com slash trek and we thank audible for supporting standard orbit and trek fm Hey, can I just uh, throw something out there? Yeah. For anyone else who's uh, who's who's on Audible dot com, when when you're on the site to sign up, just go and look at uh, Star Trek Best Destiny. 
which is a book that I remember and it's about like a old Kirk and young Kirk and they're doing their things or whatever. And they've got a picture of like a young Kirk on there. Tell me he doesn't look like Justin Bieber. <laughs> I'm just saying. Maybe that's who they should cast in the new Star Trek movie. The pre-prequel? Yeah. He's Canadian. I mean, it makes sense. All right. Anyway. No, I'm just shaking my let's head. Let's move on. No, we're done. Let's move on. All right. And there's another way that you can uh, help us keep Standard Orbit in orbit, and that's by donating directly to the site. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on our site. They're available as both badges and art prints, and they're different combinations for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. They don't have any Sanians yet, though. Maybe next week. Alderanians. Let's spell the S-S-A-N. How do you pronounce that? I don't know. I, I I'm suppose I'm like going, a snake. Yeah, San. I don't have any of those. Get on that, Tobo Ushi. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead. Walk factor one. I said...